that. So I'm just going to give you just a brief intro to the book of Ephesians. I'm going to try to describe something of the reason for this book, why it's um, important to us, and wh- why it has something to say to us right now here in Boise uh, in the 21st century. Uh, then we'll, we'll look a little bit at the first couple of verses. And then what I'll try to do is I'm just going to give you like the, probably the quickest, worst <laughs> overview rundown of the whole book. Just kind of plow through everything really fast. I mean, it literally will be like four bullet points. I'm going to give you like kind of the Cliff Notes version of the Cliff Notes version of, of Ephesians at the end. But what I want to do is I just want to tease out a few of those ideas so that when we turn at the end, at the last part of this, and just read it and hear it and sit underneath the word that way, um, that your ears are kind of tuned to some of those uh, things as we as we get to them. Um, so we just finished our series on the core values of our church. And one of the prominent features, one that we considered, particularly when we were talking about our mission, uh, the two values that we have of of Boise and beyond Boise, our mission to those places, uh, was an awareness of the place that God has put us or the place that God has sent us. Uh, scripture says that we are ambassadors for Christ, which means that our, our home is another place. And in fact, we represent that place while we live in this place. Um, and the difficulty for most Christians is that we can rarely tell the difference between the two places or agree about what belongs here and what belongs there. Um, And so, for example, um, and I do this carefully and respectfully, for example, we just celebrated a holiday. Maybe one of the most important and central holidays to the place where we live right now, the good old USA. And I, I wonder what parts of that celebration we think belong in God's kingdom and so are worthy of our undying devotion, and what parts belong here in 21st century America, Boise, Idaho, um, and we'll stay here. America was built on principles of freedom and independence and individual rights and personal property and autonomy, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are great things to build a country on, right? These can be wonderful things. And the, the upside, the benefit of a place that has those principles at its core are numerous, right? Our country is a great country. It allows for a kind of diversity of beliefs and thoughts and expressions that make where we live, at the very least, at the very least, super interesting place to be, right? The food is good, at least it's getting better, right? You can find something to satisfy almost every desire for entertainment. Every petty or profound form of entertainment is kind of right there for us, available to us. We have a kind of access to luxury and leisure that most people in all of human history have never had access to. We live in a great place with more benefits and and more diversity and more freedom and more security and more blessings, probably, again, more than anyone in history has ever experienced. But it comes with a downside, doesn't it? It's not hard to see how those principles, freedom, independence, individual rights, personal property, autonomy, how those principles can really quickly put us, put you, in the most important place. And when we occupy the most important place in each of our own individual lives, at the very least, that means that we don't occupy the most important place in everybody else's life. And so immediately what we have is conflict. Immediately we have conflict. Sin introduced, we talked about this a little bit earlier on in our series on the values, sin introduced Hostility. When Adam and Eve sinned, they immediately pointed fingers at each other before they were ever sent out of the garden. 
because sin made those differences that we all have, made those threats. And it made us hostile to those things and feel threatened by those things because somebody else's autonomy threatens our autonomy. Um, so when man is his own idol, when everyone else is just competition, right? everyone else and their differences are threats, they, they might actually ally with you for a time so long as they can get something out of it for themselves. But it's no wonder, it's no wonder that we live, maybe more so in this country, I'm not trying to condemn our country specifically, but just trying to know where we are and where we live, that we might live in one of the most scattered, fragmented, disconnected lives in this place. I'm not saying that America specifically has created that. I'm saying sin has created that. The world, the world is broken because its caretakers have sinned. And it's and so because of their sin, they are at war with God and they are at war with each other. And this is the way the world has always been. Since the garden, man has struggled to live apart from God, scattered and, and exiled from his presence, but to live out the relationships in that place, in that exiled place away from God, in these fragmented, disconnected, and hostile relationships with other sinners. That's been the lot of mankind since Adam and Eve's expulsion from the garden. And this is the world that we live in. This is the world that every human has ever lived in. America is not unique. I'm not trying to pick on America. I'm just trying to understand our place and understand why it is the way it is. As wonderful as our country is, though, I don't think I'm stretching to say that we might live in the most self-centered, most individualistic, most disconnected, most fragmented places ever. And so, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is going to have a word for us on this matter. Paul's letter to the Ephesians is a beautiful letter, and it reads actually more like a sermon than one of his other letters. If you're familiar with Paul's style of writing, and we'll get into that in a minute, uh, but the unique beauty of his letter is that Paul might be giving the most comprehensive description of God's plan to fix all of this scattered, disconnected, hostile way that the world has become. Paul is giving probably the most comprehensive description of God's redemption plan with the gospel. After, the, after a greeting uh, in the letter, it begins with this beautiful poetic prayer in the first chapter, and it describes all that we have in Christ. And we're going to explore this prayer of praise, as you could call it, um, in the weeks to come. But in the very middle of it are these words. I want you to see these in verses 9 and 10. You can, you can just look there. Right in the center of this, of this prayer are these words in verse 9 and 10. It says, He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. So there's our, there's our series title, Everything Together in Christ, because this is what it is. There it is right there. The plan of God is made, is made plain. It's actually, it says it's been enacted. It's been carried out. It's, been come, it's come to a certain point, a climax, at a right time. There's a right time that this has happened. It's something that pleases God. It's something that is mysterious. And it's something that has been made known to us, which is wild. That is truly wild. Think of all the great, cosmic, infinite, expansive knowledge that there is out there for us to know the limits of the universe. And here Paul says that God has made known to us the greatest mystery of all, God's will. He's made it known to us. As vast and as unknowable, seemingly unknowable as the universe is, I like to think that it, it is a knowledge that in theory we can explore. 
we occupy the same space, so to speak, same created space that the most distant galaxies occupy. So at least given enough time with the right technology, those galaxies are actually places that we have a, a kind of access to, if not imperfectly. But what we do not have access to, unless he gives it to us, unless he reveals it to us, is the mystery of God's own will. But it says here, Paul says that he's made it known to us. And this is what it is. It says to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth. I'm not saying that that's clear. Like, oh, there we got it. Enough said. Don't need the rest of the Bible that's right there. I'm not saying it's clear or that it's, it's clear what we should do with that. But it says that God intends to unite heaven and earth, both things in heaven and things on earth. He's going to unite those things in Christ. That all things and all people that have been scattered and fragmented and broken and exiled apart from God will be brought together in Christ. Now, if you're only hearing this, it could sound like a kind of universalism, as if God is going to save all things and that all things will be ultimately perfected and that there's no such thing as hell, that he's going to, he's going to use that even to redeem everyone from hell and bring them to himself. And, and we have to take the whole counsel of God and all the rest of Scripture and testimony of Scripture and reject that as a possibility. But we can take this sort of poetic description of God's plan to put Christ in the center and to unite all things in him. And we, we can take that seriously and understand that this is going to have some implications. And that's what this letter is going to explore. It's going to explore the implications of this plan that God has had from all eternity to bring all things together, to unite all things together in him. That's what this letter is going to explore. And, and what we might find when we're thinking of something so great and so cosmic and so enormous, a plan as bringing all things together in Christ, what we might expect to find at the center of this is some sort of cosmic army to bring all things together in Christ. What Paul's given us, he says at the center of this, this plan is a church. That's crazy. At the center of this plan to unite all things together in Christ is a church. And at the center of that church is Christ. So very simply, we are the plan. We are the plan, but we're also part of the plan. We are being reconciled to God so that we can reconcile more to God. So that ultimately everything can be brought together in Christ. Given that, let's look at the first, just the first couple of verses. Starting in verse 1. Paul. All right, let's stop there for a second. <laughs> okay. Maybe, maybe you know who Paul is, maybe you don't. Uh, Paul was a man born, his name was Saul. He was born of Tarsus. He was both a Jewish Pharisee that hated and fiercely persecuted the early Christians because ultimately, you think about what it would mean to be a Pharisee of the highest order of Pharisee, your devotion to and your, your love for God, the Father, and Scripture, and your understanding respect for, for all that is him and all the prophets that have told about him and the, and the Messiah that you would be present, you'd be, uh, had been waiting for that would come from those Scriptures as well. Think of his, his longing for those things. And here are a bunch of people who are following a man who claimed to be one with the Father and then who subsequently died on a Roman cross, which is essentially a foolproof way of proving that you are, have failed, that you are not who you said you were. So he's persecuting these Christians because they've taken what um, the Hebrew scriptures have predicted and they've um, uh, uh, blasphemed it by trying to say that it's fulfilled in this criminal. Paul's also a Roman citizen, which is a really interesting part of his background and will actually come into play uh, later in his life in ministry. 
So Paul says then, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And so if you know anything of Paul's life, on his way actually to persecute more Christians, he has a wild encounter with none other than Jesus himself. Okay, on the way, Jesus appears to Saul uh, in a blinding light. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Which I always thought is interesting. He doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting those Christians? He says, why are you persecuting me? So Paul has this crazy experience with Jesus. And then he has another crazy experience with this man called Ananias. You can actually read all about this in um, Acts chapter 9. Uh, but needless to say, Saul was a changed man. And he quickly went overnight, it seems, from a persecutor to a preacher, from someone who hated to someone who heralded Christ. He understood that experience with Jesus also as a commission. He understood that that wasn't just that him, his life being changed for his own sake, uh, but for the sake of a mission that Jesus was sending him on, that Jesus had sent him. That's what this word apostle means in the Greek. It means one who is sent. And interestingly, I, I, again, he says that he is an apostle of Christ, that it's actually Christ who has the sending authority and who did the sending. Paul wasn't actually sent by God the Father. He was sent by God the Son, by Jesus. That's, that's an important detail. And then right after he says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. So already, already, in this first line, we're getting hints at the Trinity. That beautiful but confusing but beautiful truth that God himself is a tri-unity of persons. Here already is the Father and the Son working together. The Father's will is to give all authority to his Son Right? That's what Jesus claimed at the Great Commission, which we read every Sunday, and we'll read again at the end of the service today. The Father's will was to give authority to the Son, and the Son's work is to do the will of the Father, which Jesus said he came to do. And in this case, he's doing the will of the Father by sending the Apostle Paul and by commissioning his ministry. We also, I think, in this first line, get a hint as to why God cares about bringing all things together in Christ, why he cares about unity. It would have been so easy wouldn't it? When mankind just flubbed the whole thing up, just say, forget them, start over, or, or I guess I'll just let them continue on endlessly, pursuing their own pleasures for their own sake, right? It would have been really easy, but God cares about bringing all things together. This is a plan that he set into place, and he was willing to give up his own son to accomplish it. He cares about bringing all things together. He cares about unity, which is going to be a major theme in this letter, because it is who God is, because God himself is a unity, it's God's own nature to be united with us. That's why he created us. Just as he has always been united with and within himself. And I know all that sounds kind of like crazy language. It's okay. Jesus uh, prayed this in John 17, 21. He said, may they, he's praying for his disciples and also by us, for us by extension. May they all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. So then Paul says to, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Now here is where your Bible might have a footnote. Okay, you might have a little footnote in your Bible on this, on this verse that mentions that the words at Ephesus don't occur in some manuscripts or maybe some of the earliest manuscripts. Okay. It is mostly understood, and I, I think the reasons are valid, it is mostly understood that this, the two words at Ephesus 
are, are likely later additions. Um, this letter reads differently than the other letters, like I mentioned. In every other letter Paul writes, Colossians, Philippians, Corinthians, Romans, all these, he addresses specific issues that are specific to those churches. He even mentions specific people that those churches would have known or, or would have been um, involved in the life of that church. So there's something really specific about those, those letters. He's writing with very intentional purpose towards the people in those specific churches um, that he's addressing. But he does none of that in this letter. It is far more generic, you could say. There's no names really at all. In fact, other than um, Tychicus, which is just the one who's delivering this letter because Paul is in prison, there's no specific situations that he says he's hearing about. He's not addressing um, any specific problems or, or sins. Uh, while most of Paul's letters eventually made their way around, I think most of Paul's letters, you could say, were circulated in a sense to different places, it appears that this letter was written specifically to be circulated. That it was written more as a, a, a whole summary, as, a, as a, a, a large sermon to kind of be distributed to several churches in a region. Maybe it was to several churches in the region around Ephesus. Ephesus was a large city, an important city, and so there would have been um, a lot of smaller towns and places around that, that area. So it could be that tradition sort of latched onto this idea that he was writing to this region, uh, but we don't scripturally probably have as much to stand on that that was the case. I think it makes more sense that Paul is writing this um, more generally, and that's why it reads kind of like a sermon, and also why it is a bit more comprehensive and beautiful. It really is a beautiful letter. We'll, read that. we'll, we'll see that here in a little bit. Lastly, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, this is a testament to the change that Paul went underwent, that he has no issue putting Jesus Christ a man who was born probably around the same time he was, who lived just recently and died on a cross, is no problem putting that man on the same level as God the Father, pairing them up as the ones who are both going to give grace and peace to those who are faithfully following him and following the Lord. Which, of course, means that this man, Jesus Christ, is in fact one with the Father and is in fact not dead. Those are all really important things that Paul vehemently rejected up until Christ had appeared to him, okay? So here we go. Um, the quickest, worst overview of Ephesians you might hear, and we'll get the best one when we just read it together. So, so chapter one, there's this beautiful prayer of praise, and it spells out everything that is true and everything that is ours in Christ. And it emphasizes things that, like, we've been predestined, which is an interesting word we can talk about, sealed with the Holy Spirit, um, which ultimately sets the uh, the 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 stage for the purpose and the unity of the church. In chapter two, what Christ has accomplished for us by bringing us all from, from death into life and the unity that, that immediately creates with others who are also in Christ. And that is now then the formation of this church, this new family, this new household of God by reconciling us to God, but also reconciling us one to another. Okay? Those are the same, it's the same work. And in Paul's context, this is most clearly seen at least in, in, in language that he'll use of the inclusion of both Jews and non-Jews in the one family. Uh, chapter three, that this is now sort of the entire purpose of Paul's life and ministry, and is now the purpose of anyone who belongs to that family that Christ is bringing together. So Paul oftentimes um, speaks of his own ministry and what is compelling and motivating his ministry, but is also an invitation to those he's speaking to to adopt. He says things in other parts of the scripture where he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He understands the, the mantle that's been given to him as an apostle to build a church that would carry out this ministry as well. And so 
we don't read these and say like, well, that's good for Paul. It's good for the apostles, the 12 of them, you know, a couple thousand years ago, but not me. That's, that's not how that works. He's laying this out as the, the reason for his own life and ministry. And then by extension, it's the reason for our life and ministry as well as the church. So just, just a little interlude here, because there's a transition after chapter three to chapter four. We as a church, united together with Christ, are both one, the goal, we're the goal of God's cosmic restoration plan. His purpose has always been to bring sinners back into relationship with each other as brothers and sisters with God as their father. That was the plan. We are the goal. You could say, like, what has God been trying to accomplish? He's trying to accomplish this. This is what he's trying to accomplish. Two, not only are we an image or reflection of the goal, but we are the strategy. It's the church whose purpose and mission is to be ambassadors for Christ, pleading with the world to be reconciled to God. However you understand the mission of the church, it's a cosmic mission. What we are participating in by being placed in Boise is, is understanding our place in a broader global mission to see all things brought together in Christ. This is what our purpose is. We are the goal, but we're also the strategy. It's this beautiful, like cyclical plan that just never ends until all things are his. So when we talk about the grace and the salvation that we have received in Christ, it has never, it has never been intended to end with us. We have never been intended to be the final recipients of God's grace. We have always been intended to be recipients and channels through which God's grace flows to the rest of the world. We are uniting heaven and earth by gathering together, by allowing Christ to be in our presence, by, by inviting the Holy Spirit to participate in this fellowship and to, to bind us together. We are bringing what is true in heaven to bear on earth and in this place. That's what we're doing. And when we pray things together, like our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, your will to bring everything together in Christ be done on earth, in Boise, in my own home, at my workplace, in my own heart, as it is in heaven. That's what we're praying. That's our, that's our, our hope. Okay, then chapter four starts with therefore. Okay, so Paul lays out, here's all that's true in Christ. Here's what he's forming. Here's what he's doing. Therefore, in light of God's plan, the way that he's accomplished this for us and the way that he's accomplishing it through us, therefore live like this. This is things like practice unity. Put off the old self and embrace your new life in Christ. Live in the light. Love your spouse. Live in the world and trust God. Something like that. Last three chapters right there. So that's it. I want you just to, I hopefully that is enough to kind of wet our imaginations. And as we read it, um, it should take us about less than 20 minutes. I, don't, I didn't organize this. I know I've got a handful of volunteers. I'm going to say life, maybe life can start, start us off. Chapter one, maybe chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, maybe two more. Eric, Connor? Sweet. Chapter five, chapter six. Um, I would just encourage you to follow along. And that'll be it. And then um, when we're done, we'll just we'll sing one more song. Pray and we'll let God send us out. Okay? Sound good? Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God on our our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us to adoption us <clears throat> to adoption as sons to Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the, redemp er, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of all times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth, in him we also also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Chapter 2 And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is, a, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were far, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Chapter 3 When I think of all of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of, of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious, mysterious plan to me, as you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now, by his Spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong, belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given, long, given the privilege to serving him by spreading his, this good news. Though I am the least deserving of God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all in all this way was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heaven in heavenly place. This was the, his eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't do not lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. 
Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong, and may, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish in infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with, the, with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and one Father of all who is over all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it, why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives, and he gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow and become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live in the Gentile, as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are in full of greed, and they are full of greed. <clears throat> that, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to put your former way of life, to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self-created to be put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. 
Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, and they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up according to their needs, and it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit in God, in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk, or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man, which is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as, as, as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all the things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be their husbands, ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. 
for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as man-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing services to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, and whether he is slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but, we, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which with you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, the utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who have our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen.